Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's such a joy to be here with you. Thank you for your love and your prayers. And boy, what a, what a wonderful book, the first, first Thessalonians, right? It's just amazing. It's wonderful. There's so much to glean from it. I've been praying for you as you're... Um, doing this inductive study that the Lord is just ministering to you and speaking to you in such beautiful, beautiful ways. And, you know, this letter really does express such a heart and love and care that Paul and Timothy and Titus had for this, basically, uh, one of the first church plants in Eastern Europe. And so it was still in its infant stage. It was full of all of these brand new believers who just come out of this pagan lifestyle, and now they've turned to worship the true and living God. And um, when Paul and his team came to their city, um, and they heard them preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, um, they responded, many of them responded and believed and received. And now, can you imagine, they're just eager to learn and to grow in this new faith that they had. And um, we saw in chapter 2 that Paul and the guys were not only sharing the gospel message, that they were pouring their very lives into these beautiful new believers. But then sadly, they were first forced to abruptly have to leave, and this was really, really painful. It was hard for these guys to do it. It was emotional, and in fact, Paul was distraught. We see that because he did feel like a spiritual father that was now orphaned from them. And, you know, we also have to imagine what it was like for this group of new believers. When, all, when Paul and Silas and Timothy just they just have to leave them, and there's like no time or preparation. They just have to go, and suddenly they're without a pastor. They don't have someone there to shepherd them and teach them and give them the support and the strength that they needed. And of course, they're realizing um, in this new faith that there's there's a there's a uh, cost. That, that, that they do have to count the cost for following Christ. And no doubt, they're experiencing backlash from their families and their friends and their community over their decision to follow Christ. I mean, this was like mind-blowing. This, the gospel's coming for the first time in their hearing. So can you imagine what their families thought? Um, they were definitely experiencing affliction and persecution, and we saw in chapter 2, verse 17, and go ahead and turn there. I'm sorry. Let's turn back to chapter 2, verse 17, and we're going to pick up the story there. Where it says, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? Our joy or crown of rejoicing, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. You know, I couldn't help but thinking back to a time, I believe it was 1990, when a small team actually left here from Calvary Vista to go over to Eastern Europe for the very first time. God opened this little door, well, really a, a huge wide door, um, for them to go in. And, and so it was Pastor Brian Broderson, it was my husband Rob, Shanti's husband Jim was on that, Don Hill's husband Eddie was on that. 
Uh, Don's mom, Linda Barrett, was on the team along with another gal. I can't remember her name. And Howard Anderson was on that on that trip. And so um, this was huge. And it's a crazy story because they literally um, went in faith. Um, there was really not a solid plan or direction. It's not like how we plan mission trips today. Uh, the communication was really difficult between the what, whoever that connection was over in Eastern Europe and with, with our team. So when they landed, I mean, they don't speak the language. They don't have an interpreter. <laughs> There's this one guy that picks them up and drives them out to this small, tiny village, and they get separated into twos and dropped off at different people's homes. <laughs> Can you imagine? And you can't communicate with the people. And you're just like, okay. You know? So that was the first night. And then the next morning they wake up and they, 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 they don't even know which, where each other is. Like, like Rob and Jim are together, right? I think. And then, yeah, anyways. And so they're in the same place, but they, don't, they can't even find one another. And so they get there. They just get up in the morning. They're just walking and praying and like, Lord, show us what to do. So Jinzia is going to show you a few pictures from this trip. And, um, so basically, they, they did start praying and, and just looking for opportunity. And Howard had his guitar. And those of you who know Howard Anderson, he's a rock and roller. So, of course, he'd start playing music. And it's Americans, you know. <laughs> there he is. And so, of course, it would draw these young kids. It would, you know, hey, what's going on over here? And so, um, and then the guys would share the gospel. And kids started getting saved. And I think on the next picture, it shows, I think, the very first, these were the first two guys that got saved over there. It's pretty, there's Jimbo. There he is. Brian. Um, okay, let me find my, find my notes so I don't forget. So, um, Anyways, so kids start getting saved, but then like it's time for the team to move on. And they're just like, Rob and Jim are like, it was like torture for them. And they were like, so finally they were like, hey, can we go back? We want to go back to, um, because actually I forgot something. When they got to the first little village, then they were taken to a bigger city and it's the city of Subatitsa. So that's where they started sharing the gospel. So basically Rob and Jim went back to this town, the city in Subatitsa and spent a good week over there. And there was this place called the Monkey Place. And it's where all the young people um, hung out. There it is. There's my honey. See? Sitting on a s- little skateboard, just sharing the word of God with these, these young people. And so basically, they would just find young people. Because if you travel the world, you realize that young people do learn English. And so they would find young people that um, could speak English, and then they would interpret for them. And so literally, you guys, every day, the, the, the group is growing and growing as they're telling their friends about it and telling their, their friends about it. It was really amazing. You can go to the next picture. And so, um, and then so what they started doing is realizing, okay, we have limited time with them. And so it was like day and night, they were meeting them in smaller places and groups just to pour into them, answer their questions, take them to the word. They're just trying to do like discipleship 101 as quickly as they can. I think there's a couple more photos. So by the time Brian and the rest of the team got back, it was just a beautiful sight, what God was doing there in Subatitsa. And uh, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and so, but the reality is, is that they had to go home. And it was heartbreaking to leave these brand new believers there. Um, okay, we're good with that. And to have to go back home. And so they're literally praying when they land. Like, Lord, you have to send somebody. They need a shepherd. They need a pastor. And of course, 
God didn't call Rob and I to go to, to Subatitsa. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> but um, anyway, so it, you guys, it's an amazing story. But literally within a week, they, the, God raised up a young man named Mike Harris to go back over. Rob traveled back with him, got him established with the kids, and a church was birthed. And, and it's still there to this day, Calvary Chapel, Subatitsa. Amen. You can give God the glory. I mean, it's a really a pretty amazing, amazing story. But um, I saw like that heart and that care, you know, that the guys, the team had for, for them when they came back. And that's what's happening here for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So let's pick up in chapter 3. It says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. That statement, it probably resonated with you. Am I getting a lot of feedback? No, it's just me. It's all in my head. Okay. So probably that statement resonated with you when we could no longer endure it, or another translation would say when we could not stand it any longer. I mean, these are strong words. Have you ever felt that way? because of a difficult situation or pressure that you were under, maybe someone or something that's causing this tremendous weight on you and you feel like it's going to crush you. It's a burden that you can't bear any longer. And that's what's happening here. And it's such a strong burden for the welfare of these precious saints. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, I understand it, but Paul, like, he is really, really distressed about this. It even says that he's, like, fearing. He's afraid for um, their walks. And um, I was just thinking about that, and it just came to my heart and mind, like, not only did Paul understand affliction and temptation and what it can do to a man, because he went through it personally, we know that, I mean, right? He got he suffered continually throughout his whole calling and walk with Christ. And he was a human being. And so he had to be discouraged. He had to have times where he's faint-hearted. We actually know that there's scriptures where even the Lord has to come to him and, and encourage and strengthen him and tell him not to fear. And so he knew firsthand the effects of persecution and affliction. Um, but also because it was by his own hands and authority that he once inflicted pain and persecution on the early church. And I think sometimes we forget that. But that had to be something that Paul had to battle with in his mind. Yes, he met Christ on the road to Damascus and had this incredible encounter, and he was saved. I mean, he was a saved man. He was a changed man with a calling on his life. But the reality is he was once an instrument for the hands of Satan. 
He was the one leading the charge to find Christians, to imprison Christians. He was the one tearing fathers from their families and mothers from their children. He was giving the orders to have them beaten. He was the one giving the orders to try to force them to deny Christ and abandon their newfound faith. So I just feel like it just makes more sense to me why he's so concerned. Because he knows, he knows what affliction and temptation can do to a man. But God, but God, he's so faithful. And so when Paul could stand it no longer, knowing what affliction and temptation can do, they sent Timothy. And, you know, of course they wanted to stay together on this trip, especially because of all the opposition and persecution. But they came to that point of sacrifice, knowing it was better to send Timothy. Timothy, that the Thessalonians needed him. And I just want to point out real quickly that Paul sets a great example for us of the importance of partnership in ministry and that he did that whenever it was possible. Sometimes he was alone, but whenever possible, he was surrounded with men um, in the ministry. There was wisdom and value in that. There was encouragement and strength that came from that as they followed and served Christ. And there's an example, too, of just the the empowering of having faithful brothers and sisters in Christ with you in ministry. We see it in Acts chapter 18. It was a time when Paul had left Athens and he traveled to Corinth. And it tells us that he looked for a job as a tent maker. He, he met Priscilla and Aquila and he started working. And then it tells us that on the Sabbath day, he would go into the synagogues and he would reason there with the scriptures with people. But it wasn't until Silas and Timothy returned from a long trip they were on in Macedonia that when they came back and they were reunited with Paul and he was encouraged and strengthened by them, we're told in Acts 18.5, that then it was that Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. It was like this boldness was back in him, and and it was time, and he had the encouragement and the strength um, that the Lord brought from his friends, and um, then he was ready to um, once again preach the gospel and once again get persecuted and, you know, thrown out of town and all of that what came with it. So I just want to say to all of us that we need one another, right? That we can't walk this uh, walk alone. We need the comfort and the strength. And I loved Margie's message last week. And if you missed it, please go back and listen to it. But she so beautifully shared that we need face-to-face relationships. Paul mentions that the face-to-face, hand-in-hand, heart-to-heart. Amen? So Timothy goes to Thessalonica, and we see that um, you know he checks on the church, and he has two goals that we notice here. It's number one, it's to establish them in their faith, and number two, it's to encourage them in their faith. And it's been said that encouragement can really only come after we are established in the right direction. Otherwise, we're only encouraged in the wrong course. <laughs> and it made me think about um, my grandson, Josiah. Uh, Amy signed him up for soccer, and he's five years old. And, um, of course, 
I wanted to go because I want to be Mimi on the sidelines cheering on my grandson. And I mean, it's so stinking cute. These little five-year-olds, they don't really know what they're doing. And the, tr- the coach is trying to teach them the basic skills. And then toward the end, they, they like do this little scrimmage, right? You're on this side and you're on this side. And, um, you know, you're supposed to try and get the ball in the other, in the other net. Well, Josiah loves to score goalies, but sometimes he's dribbling in the wrong direction <laughs> and he's scoring for the wrong team. But that doesn't matter to me. I'm like, yes, Josiah. And I'm just like totally like cheering him on and encouraging him. Um, Cause you know, I just want to do that. And I don't want him to be sad or quit when he feels he can't do it. Um, Cause that's kind of his impulse. So I'm like trying to cheer him on and I was probably confusing the guy. Um, but thankfully he has a great coach, right? And the coach's job is to establish him in the game of soccer so that he understands what it's about and why we do what we do. And there's rules to it. And there's a right direction and a wrong direction. And, um, and then my job is still important, right, to cheer him on, but I need to encourage him in the right ways. So, yay, Josiah, when he you know, does something well and um, just cheering him on, but also encouraging him when he's struggling or he did something wrong, that it's okay and don't give up and keep trying and next time go that direction instead of that direction. So they go hand in hand, but we have to be established in the faith and not just encouraged, right? So it's important. And that's why we need to go to church. We need to be plugged into the body. We need to sit under pastors and teachers that are shepherding us and taking us to the word of God. We need the Bible studies. You need your small groups where you're building friendships and connection and you're praying together. We need the, that's why we have like one-to-one discipleship and biblical counseling. That's why there's home groups in our church. That's why there's Thrive Marriage events. That's why we have equipped classes periodically like the skills classes that help you just um, overcome obstacles and give you tools and and on and on. There's go in peace retreats. There's just so much that's available in the body of Christ. Being established and encouraged in our faith are vital for the Christian. And Paul goes on to give us the reason why. We see here in verse 3, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. And, and then in verse 5, so that no one gives into t- temptation to walk away from following Christ. Again, two things that Paul gives the reason why. It's that no one should be shaken by affliction and that no one gives into temptation to walk away from following Christ. You know, it's in the times of severe suffering and pain and tragedy and loss that we can find ourselves feeling unsettled emotionally. We can feel a bit shaken up if we're really honest with ourselves. And sometimes when we look around at everything going on in the world and the effects of sin and the wickedness, we get disturbed. Sometimes we're stumbled by what we see or what we experience, and there can be a sense of losing hope or becoming fearful. And it's in these times of affliction that we are so vulnerable to the temptation from the enemy and the deceitful lies he gives and the way that he attacks us. And he loves to begin 
to get us to doubt God's love and his care and his faithfulness. And if we listen to those lies, girls, and we don't get out of our heads, as Jenny Allen's book would say, that some of you went through that Bible study, if we don't get out of our heads, what? We start spiraling. When we're not battling those lies and and battling our thought life, it's going to take us down. And before we know it, we're pulling away. We're distancing from people. We're distancing ourselves from God because maybe we feel angry or disappointed or disillusioned. Maybe we're having all of a sudden these doubts concerning the word of God and these questions bombarding our thoughts of why or how. How could God allow that? I mean, even David had those times when he had those questions in severe suffering. And then on top of that, we can battle internally with shame and condemnation for even thinking those thoughts in the first place. Is anybody with me on that? It's like, if people really knew what was going on in my heart and my mind right now, and then, for an example, sometimes like we'll sing a song like, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. And when everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. But we feel conflicted while we're trying to worship the Lord and the enemy's right there in our minds saying, really, really, he's never let you down? Because from our vantage point, our way of thinking, there are times when we may feel like he's let us down, prayers that he hasn't answered the way we hoped for or believed for, or maybe God didn't work or provide in a way that we thought and expected that he would. A loved one isn't healed from a disease or a marriage ends up broken and there's divorce or a child is bullied or mistreated or abused. Listen, we have an enemy. It's Satan. And his goal, we see, in this book is that Satan wants to hinder us, Satan wants to tempt us, and Satan wants to shake us up. And we also know from when Jesus warned Peter that Satan is out to shift you or sift to you like sand. And so, girls, that's why we need to be established in our faith, continually knowing the word, knowing God's character. That's what we need to focus on, the truth of who God is. He is not a liar. He's good. He's faithful. He's true. He's given you eternal life. He's given you a living hope. He's given you himself. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He's moving. He's working. He's transforming. He has a purpose and plan for the future. And we just need to hold on and be patient and endure because one day everything will be perfected and we will be transformed into the image of Christ. Amen? He might not fulfill your hopes and expectations, but he will definitely fulfill his hopes and expectations for you. And that is what we need to hang on to. That is the truth. God is good. He's faithful. So just like Paul, who made sure to warn the Thessalonians that trials and tribulations and afflictions would take place, we need to be reminded of this time and time again, right? We have to be reminded and continually being equipped 
We can't get lazy. We can't, we have to be on guard because the enemy is so sneaky in how he gets in there. So we, of course, Paul's heart here is that they would be able to stand firm in Christ and withstand the the enemy and the temptation to turn away and to abandon. Girls, we have to be rooted and grounded in the love of God and the word of God. Let's, um, I think about the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Turn there real quick. Well, actually, I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Version, so you might just want to listen. I just think it gives so much um, insight. Matthew 13, it says, um, Listen then to the meaning of the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom regarding salvation and does not understand and grasp it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and at once welcomes it with joy, yet he has no substantial root in himself, but is only temporary. And when pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles, he falls away, abandoning the one who is the source of salvation. And the one on whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries and distractions of the world and the deceitfulness or the superficial pleasures and delight of riches choke the word and it yields no fruit. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands and grasps it. He indeed bears fruit and yields some a hundred times as much as was sown, some 60 times as much and some 30. I was so struck by the word abandoning the one who is the source of salvation because I've been reading in the book of Jeremiah this past week, and this really is, this is, if you want to encapsulate the entire heart of God in the book of Jeremiah, it's that his people abandoned him. He says things like, my people abandoned me, the fountain of living water, And they dug cisterns for themselves and cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. He says, they have turned their back to me, not their face. And then he asks the question, what fault did you find in me that you went so far from me? It's just that heart of the Father God for his children. And this is the heart he still has today because there's still his children that are walking away you know, they're uh, deconstructing, they're, they're being led away by the temptations, and they're abandoning their faith. But thankfully, we have a God who is long-suffering and always pursuing, desiring that we would repent and turn and follow. So if you have someone that you love and care about that once walked with Christ and they have abandoned their faith, keep praying Keep praying. Don't give up. Day and night, don't lose hope. And then I just want to do a little warning that we see here that we need to pay attention to in this parable, and that's that you and I, who are established, we're still capable of becoming unfruitful. We're still capable of becoming unfruitful if we allow those cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches to choke the word. I mean, even that picture is so powerful, right, of being choked out, the life of the word of God being choked out of us. We need to be on guard and be aware. Okay, girls, let's keep abiding in a Christ and abounding in fruitful living. Amen? 
So pick up with me in verse 6. It says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face, and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Seeing and hearing the good news about other Christians and about other ministries and other churches is so refreshing and encouraging, isn't it? Because so often we hear bad news and bad things. And so I get excited when I hear good. We were actually in Reno, Nevada last week with um, Phil and Rebecca McKay um, and the church there. And it was just so wonderful to be refreshed in good news and just seeing the good work that what God was doing there in that church. I left really encouraged. And you know, my heart is also encouraged when I look at, at each one of you. And you're here you are here. You, like Nicole said, you have stretched out your hand. You want the word of God. You're um, looking for the friendships and fellowship and the fruit that can come in your life. And, and I do rejoice and give God so much thanks for what he's doing here amongst this beautiful group of ladies. And I love you. Um, Paul and Silas were rejoicing in the good news that Timothy had brought back. And I love Paul's pastoral heart because he's thrilled and happy for the news he's heard, but he also still has this pastoral heart where he wants to um, perfect what is lacking. You know, he wants to continue to build up and strengthen them. Um, because, you girls, that's, that's an important part, the sanctification process of us becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in some of the chapters to come. Um, and, the, and Colossians 4.12 also tells us that, you know, so we're being prayed for that we would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So I love that. And that is the heart of the pastors here, too, that we would continue to be perfected in what we lack in our faith. So, so important. And I love Paul's prayer here at the end where he says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. I love this prayer. I love it so much. And just that heart that they would continue to increase and abound in love. But notice the key. You probably notice it. It's, it's not about us making this happen. It's, it's praying that the Lord would do that. It says, may the Lord make you increase. May he establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God. And that is the key. And you'll see also in the second letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Um, actually, turn there real quick. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And I want you to look at his final greeting to the church here at the end of this letter. It says, the, mm, I'm looking, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to start here. Well, I'm going to read what I have here. It says, 
um, in chapter 3, that the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Does anybody see where that part is? Where the Lord direct? There it is, 3 5. Thank you. May the Lord direct your hearts to what? To who? To God's love and to Christ's endurance. They are our example. That is what we have to keep our eyes on um, in this race. And so this morning, well, and I will say too, when Paul, at the end of chapter 3, you know, where he wants to perfect the work in them, that that's what we will see. There, there, there were problems with the, the doctrine. They had, they had misunderstandings about the return of Christ. There were things that need to be dealt with about how they walked the walk and what holiness looked like. All of that was important. And so we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of that over the next few weeks, and it's so, so good. But... Let's always, every week, not get so absorbed in like what we need to be doing, but let's look to the example of God, his love. Let's look to Christ, his example, in his endurance. Amen? So in closing, I want to ask you, are you standing firm in the Lord? Remember, that was our um, conference theme last year. It was so impressed on our heart to do that. If you missed that, go on our podcast. Listen, it was so good. But standing firm in Christ, rooted, fruitful. Or have you been shaken lately by whatever circumstances that are going your way, the trials and tribulations? And I'm going to have Rachel come up right now, and we're just going to... Just respond to the Lord. I want to give you a moment to respond to the Lord and really be honest with the Lord about where you're at. Do you feel like you're standing firm? Or do you feel like, you know, that you've listened to the lies of the enemy and you are shaken right now in your faith and you're struggling? Or maybe like in the parable, you feel like, I'm I'm just lacking fruit right now because I have just let the cares of this world and the driven for, you know, just the things of the world, that that has become the focus and it's, and it's choking the life of the word out of you, that you would take time to go before the Lord and just confess that and allow him to minister to you. And girls, listen, in those times when we might feel one way, when we feel shaken, when we might feel let down, Look, we have to sing to our soul, right? That's what David shows us in the psalm. You sing to your soul. You speak the word of God over the lies. You have to battle, girls. We're not going to be able to stand strong and stand firm if we don't fight, if we don't pick this up and use the, the sword, the word of God, and cry out for his Holy Spirit to help us. None of us are beyond being tempted to walk away. None of us are beyond having to battle because of affliction and trials. The Lord knows that. He cares about you. Run to him. 
Look to him. He is your firm foundation, the rock on which we stand. And the truth again is that he never will let you down. Amen. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing this song over ourselves. We're going to proclaim it. We're going to sing it in faith. Sometimes you'll notice in worship, that's part of it. It's not about our feelings. It's about professing it. It's about speaking it out in faith and singing to your soul and singing to God in faith, in obedience, and in surrender. And so, Lord, we want to do that right now. Father, we want to be women who are grounded in you, that are steadfast, that are standing firm. We want to be established. We want to be encouraged. We don't want to be taken down by the enemy. So help us to be on guard, to be alert, to be aware of the tactics of the enemy. And where women are feeling discouraged or depressed Lord would you release that would you bring freedom from that Lord where they need just their faith um, energized and strengthened like Paul did Lord would you do that today in one another's lives as they um, share the word together today Lord would you just minister to our hearts Father Um, we love you we thank you that it's you that we look to Lord you're the one that helps us to abound more and more. You're the one that brings the growth in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. All we need to do is be surrendered and yielded and obedient to the call. And so we want to praise you right now in Jesus' name.